Hello, my happy human friends. I am the universe. Clearly, can you not hear my booming, masculine, male, echoey voice that clearly states that I am my cosmic authority? <laughs> I wish you a happy new year after your happy holidays, because as you can tell, ever since ancient Mesopotamian times, I have imbued the world with a sense of joy and love for each other that prompted them to trade livestock and pretty beads, and eventually, thousands of years later, Plastic-covered silicone wafers that would allow you to talk to one another hands-free with no cords and look quite wealthy while doing so. And to the rest of you who are not feeling a particular way because of the particular time of the Gregorian calendar year, well, you are trash humans and do not belong on my green earth. Clearly. Because tis the season and tis the time to joy-flex on one another and make sure that everybody knows exactly how happy you are and wealthy you are and so wealthy in fact that we will collectively pitch in and keep JC Penny around for one more year and show everybody how good our families are and that clearly no one at the dinner table is reminding us of childhood trauma. And to you happy humans having a happy new year, I wish you the best of time with your elastic bands in the gym that is not provided by the gym, but that clearly somebody got you so you could do leg warm-ups in a very cool way that the host of this podcast does not get to, get to do, but looks quite effective. And so, from the universe, I hope you enjoy this latest episode of the How To Human podcast, hosted by Sam Lamont. Here he is in all his glory, yes, sometimes... Odd self. This is the sound of an electrical transformer. This is also the sound of how I was feeling when I showed up for the conversation with Coop Blackson. I wasn't good, but I wasn't bad. I wasn't fearful or anxious, but I wasn't excited. And this is how I'd been feeling for a little bit of time. I wasn't expecting it, but this is the sound of how I felt leaving the conversation with Coop Blackson. That's the sound of me remembering how capable I am and how the answers I'm looking for are a lot closer than I think. I, without realizing it, had turned my back on my intuition and had stopped trusting myself in a way that made me cautious and fearful and helpless. And Coop, if you're listening, I want to publicly thank you for restoring that faith in myself and that belief that if I follow my gut, even if it leads to making mistakes, it's better than not doing anything. And so today's episode is called Deep down, we know, after a line he said during the conversation that really resonated with me. And if you haven't ever heard Coop Blackson before, it's my honor to get to be the one to introduce you. He's an author and a motivational speaker and a workshop leader and somebody who I look forward to following because he has a power and a gentleness all in the same breath where you both feel supported and pushed. 
and it's exactly what I needed for at least this particular chapter in my life. So here is my conversation with Coot Blackson. Hey. Hey, man. Hey, Coot. Uh, welcome to the program. Cool. Thank you for having us. Great to be here. And um, so just to give the backstory, one of your people wrote us and said, hey, I work for Coot. And I, I heard your program and I think it'd be a good fit. And I literally listened to a video for about 30 seconds and I said, yeah, <laughs> yeah, great. it'd be a good fit. And it was, uh, it was just the warmth, I think, in your message and voice where I said, okay, yeah, I want to. And so I've done some digging since then, but initially it was vibe from the start. Awesome, bro. Yeah. But could you, this is how I like to start the program. It can be as big or small of a question as you would like. Who are you? Small question. It could be a big or a small. <laughs> uh, who am I? I am an uh, infinite being incarnated in this body, having a human experience, uh, expressing as this character called Coot. And so really, you know, at the deepest level, who I am is consciousness. Who I am is everything. What I am is God, divine, whatever label you want to put on it. Like, I'm that. I'm you. You are me, you know? It's just oneness at the deepest level. Um, uh, but on a practical level, <laughs> I was born in Ghana, West Africa. Father's from Ghana, mother's Japanese. Grew up in London. Uh, kind of raised in LA since 18. So, you know, much of my, half of my life. Um, and uh, just a global citizen, you know? And so for, for me, from a very young age, I always felt a deep calling to serve people. I always felt a profound, like, I remember being age six and I just wanted to help people. I felt this burning compassion. I would feel people suffering around the world. You know, my father's Africa, I'd go to Africa and see people suffering. And it just, I don't know, it just touched my heart really deeply. And I didn't know exactly what that would look like in terms of uh, form, but I just knew, like, my life wasn't my life. And uh, for me, that was... In terms of who who am I? I'm I'm a lover, man. You know, I love people. I love humanity. I'm in love with people, and uh, and so, you know, in terms of my foundation, what really impacted my life was uh, I grew up in the church, and my father is a minister. <clears throat> he has three hundred churches in Ghana, West Africa. Three, excuse me, three hundred. Three hundred, <laughs> and uh, probably hundreds of thousands of followers at his height. And so my first memories, literally as a young boy, uh, I remember being a chubby kid growing up in you know, London and Ghana and seeing a crippled woman crawling on the floor. She picks up the sand that uh, this man walks on, being my father, wipes it on her face, stands up. Uh, so I grew up around miracles and that really informed me, impacted my life. Uh, blind people seeing, deaf people hearing, people standing up out of wheelchairs. Uh, my father would look at a woman in a wheelchair and say, stand up. Why are you sitting down? You're not sick. Stand up. And she would say, but I haven't walked in five years. Do you believe? Stand up. And so I grew up week after week seeing these miraculous things occur. And so that really uh, informed my life in a big way. You know, stuff like that was was normal. So I'm a believer in possibility. I, like, I believe almost anything is possible, you know. And, and so... Uh, I grew up in this spiritual environment that uh, the question of who am I, why am I here, what's the purpose of life, 
uh, has been a big part of my life. I started asking myself those questions at a very young age. I was obsessed with trying to figure out, you know, I grew up in a very poor part of London, South London, Peckham, uh, where people didn't have a lot, very dangerous. And I saw, you know, and I grew up in Africa and I saw people that didn't have a lot, but yeah, in many ways were fulfilled and happy and, you know, just connected. And then I also went to school. I got a scholarship to a very prestigious school, very wealthy, a lot of wealthy, uh, you know, uh, sons and of presidents. And so I was very privileged to grow up around, you know, uh, you could say this, this privileged culture as well. And I saw a lot of people that had everything, every reason to be happy, but were also unhappy, unfulfilled. And so I started to ask myself the question, like, why? What, what, what is this? What What's the purpose of life? Is it just to go to work, make money, become famous, you know, pump out some babies, go on a vacation, a car, a house, and then die? And uh, so from 8 to 18, that kind of became uh, my obsession, my quest. Probably read 800 books by the time I was 18, just trying to just – you're a seeker. I was a seeker, you know, but like obsessive. I was a kid that I would literally go to school. On the way to school, on the train, I'd be reading books. You know, everyone from, look, Wayne Dyer, Louise Hay, Marion Williamson, Tony Robbins, Deepak Chopra, uh, the, Dan Millman, the sort of Western pop psychology people to the Eastern mystics, Blavatsky, uh, Osho, Krishnamurti, uh, Ramana Maharishi. And so this was my life. I'd come home from school and, you know, I'd finish my homework in two hours. I'd, then I'd read for four or five hours to 1 a.m. just trying to understand, you know. And so... When I was eight, I started speaking in my father's churches. Uh, my father threw me in front of the audience and said, speak. That, you could say, began my speaking career. Um, and 14, I was supposed to, I was basically given the mandate to take over my father's spiritual organization. And it was announced to the congregation, my son's taking over. I looked at my mother, I looked at him, and I figured... I am, you know, that wasn't my path. And I literally saw my entire life set out for me. My entire life was being preset, scripted and planned by my father, by everyone else. And honestly, it's what, this wasn't my path. It wasn't my choice. And in that moment, I felt my heart sink. In that moment, I knew that this was not my truth. But I was too afraid to speak to my father. I was too afraid to speak up. I was too afraid to be honest because I was afraid... If I was true, if I was authentic, if I spoke my truth, I'd be outcast. I'd be uh, alone. I'd lose love. And so I kind of went along with it, you know, for four years, four or five years and uh, burnt me up inside, burnt me up inside. And uh, when I turned 18, I knew I had to make a decision. Uh, and this is what really had an impact on my life. I looked into my future and I saw 18, 20, 25, 30, 40. 50. I saw my entire life and I figured if I, I could be successful by everyone else's standards, but if I didn't have myself, if I didn't have my truth, if I, if I, if I didn't have my own soul, my own integrity, I have nothing. And the pain of that was really intense, you know, and I cried because I realized I was going to have to let go of my father. I was going to have to let go in order to have myself and finally had the conversation with my father. That's the day I became a man. When I was, when I decided, you know what? Nothing is worth my freedom. Nothing is worth my, like nothing. And I really wanted my father's love and acceptance. So it was a big deal. Uh, I told him within speak for two years. And wow. that was really hard. You know, sometimes people say, well, when you find your purpose, the whole universe opens. 
No. You know, the unicorns come out, the violins play, everything is easy, the, synch- the, the synchronicities unfold. That was like hell, man. I mean, I, I, I felt like I was following my purpose. I was being true to myself. I'm pretty much excommunicated from by my father. It was very, very, very challenging. We didn't speak for maybe more than two years, two and a half years. But, but I knew I was on the right path. It was difficult. Sometimes I think when you find your purpose is when the real challenges begin. When you really align with your purpose, it's not that you're doing something wrong. It's just that life has to then test you. Life then has to prepare you. Life brings challenges and opportunities and uh, and intense situations kind of for you to face so that you can be mentally and emotionally and spiritually tested. You know, those the sort of weights, uh, the gymnasium of your soul has to be, you have to be prepared and sculpted to, to really be able to be the person who is capable of fulfilling the dream and the vision. And so I, I kind of went through this huge challenge with my father and I cut a long story short, uh, felt very depressed one day, felt like, oh shit, what am I going to do with my life? I chose not to go to university, figured if I want to help people with, with their lives, I think life has more to teach me. I have to, I have to live life. And so decided not to go to university against everyone's wishes. Uh, no f- support from my family except my mother, but everyone else thought I was insane. Uh, and then I just said a prayer. I said, God, what do I, sh- like, show me. I've been given this vision. Like, you, you can't leave me here, you know? And I felt this burning desire. And so I was in a library one day. Someone literally hands me a magazine called The Economist. I look, I felt this feeling. I look in the back of the, the magazine, figure there must be a reason. It says, the American government's giving away 55,000 green cards in the green card lottery. Didn't even know there was a green card lottery. And uh, everything inside of me said, enter this thing, you're going to win. This is crazy. It's a lottery. Cut a long story short, three months later, got a phone call, won a green card, found myself moving to the US, Los Angeles, with two suitcases, $1,000 in my pocket, one suitcase full of clothes, one suitcase full of books and tapes of you know, my heroes, the Jim Browns <laughs> of the world, and showed up. And that's really uh, what sort of built my foundation and came to the US. No idea what i was going to do no didn't know a single person in this country the first person i knew in the u.s was the taxi driver just following my soul man on a journey and it was tough cried for the first two weeks wanted to go back i mean it was i mean i could go on and on but uh that's kind of a little bit about sort of my background who i am and how i sort of got here at least partially here yeah Uh, yeah there's a lot that to touch on there but uh, one of the things that you touched on that's really relevant to me is our, as I would word it, our like attachment to this romantic narrative yeah. that we've been sold, right? Through movies and films, the fact that everything's going to work out. <laughs> <laughs> if only life was so simple, you know, but like this is the, um, I said on Instagram the other day, like this is the same world that gives birth to beautiful babies and also has some kids that have cancer. Yeah. You know, like the world's a very complicated mechanism. And uh, especially if you do have faith in some higher intelligence, it's very complex. It's not so easy as you find your purpose and the world unfolds. For me as well, I feel like the, you know, I, I, I don't know exactly where I'm going, but I know what it feels like when I'm on the path. Like I have a very clear feeling of when I'm on the path and when I'm off the path. And it's not because one is easier than the other. Yeah. It's, just a, it's just a different feeling. 
but so eventually your story ends up where you wanted to use your voice and your message to to help other people right i mean you are uh in your own words an inspirational speaker right like on the website like kind of motivational person that's what you want you want to get people change their state you know so to say and so when somebody's starting a there's so much resistance to do anything different you know the other day i got a really cool pair of sunglasses these things you know they're just different they're like hunter s thompson translucent right hip man they're hip and i put it on and this this coffee barista saw saw me wearing them she goes those are interesting glasses (laughs) you know because it's different it's different than what she's used to. She's used to me wearing pretty plain clothes. And here I'm wearing like kind of rock star glasses. Own it. And I just had to say, oh, I love it. And that was kind of the cue, like, thanks for your opinion, but I am doing something different. And so when you're working with somebody who's changing, the world is resistant to change, always. How do you brace people for the world not Open, you know, welcoming you with open arms for the resistance that's surely to come with any change, even if it means just having some more boundaries at work, you know, not letting people walk all over you, even if it's starting small. How do you prepare people for the resistance? Yeah, I, th- I think you have to be prepared by first just accepting the way it is. And the way it is, is not everyone is going to accept you. And and so don't have this romantic idea that, wow, you be yourself and the whole world is going to love you and everyone's going to, it may and it may not, you know? And so I think if you can just accept the way it is, make peace with that's how it is. And, you know, what what I found, look, I, I put a lot of stuff out there in the world, videos, books, you know, just just put my stuff out there and i see so many people who have talent and creativity and gifts and passion and wanting to make a difference that don't they have a voice they have valid things to say they have a message and they don't and honestly it pains me to see so many some of whom are my friends amazingly gifted people not put themselves out there because of the fear of being accepted and and being rejected and so what i've had to make peace with and i just speak from my own experience is I put myself out there and some people love it. And you know, occasionally I get haters of people who say, oh, you know, this, oh, you're that. You're... And so it forces, you have to know yourself. It forces me to know myself. And by knowing myself, it's really staying focused on what is my intention. I know my intention. I know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I know my motivation and my motivation is to have an impact. My motivation is to transform. My motivation is to help free people. My mo- and this is my obsession, my desire, my motivation. And so I always say you have to have a vision that that is uh, that is so big, you know, that. And when I say so big, I'm, I'm not saying like feed all of the people in the world, but yeah, why not? Whatever your vision is, but at least a vision that stretches you. It may not stretch me, but if so long as it stretches you, a vision that stretches you beyond yourself, that it requires all of you. And if you truly have a vision beyond yourself that requires all of you, here's what I found. Number one, you won't have time. You won't have time to worry about people's shit. I, on, most of the time, I don't have time to worry about people's opinions. That does happen. <laughs> you know, just because I'm, I'm just up to so many different things. I'm like, okay, I hear what you have to say. Thank you. I, I need to go do this thing because my commitment to service and 
And so let your commitment to service, let your commitment to contribution, let your commitment to your message be way bigger. And so my commitment, and I'm not perfect, but my commitment is way bigger. So when people say stuff, it, it's, it's what it is. The other thing I found is, and I've had to make peace with, is the way people perceive you reflects really more, more about them than it does about you. It's their reality. And you can go into a room and let's say I speak and, and let's say speak to a thousand people. What I had to make peace with is I'm going to have a thousand opinions. Yeah. And all of those opinions are equally valid. None of those opinions are reality. All of the, those opinions are allowed. And so what I had to make peace with is I go into a room, I speak, I give what I think is a great talk. There's going to be a thousand different opinions. And people are, are perceiving me you based on their own level of consciousness, which is which is uh, determined by their past conditioning and programming and lenses. So many times people aren't really seeing you. They're seeing their projection of you. So what I had to learn to do, what I'd invite people to do is unhook yourself from the negative opinions. That's, that's the obvious thing to do, right? Okay, it's your opinion. What you think about me, that's your opinion. No problem. What I had to do is also unhook myself from people's positive opinions because that's also a projection too. And what I found is when I could free myself from both, that was real freedom. That was the freedom because at first I was like, oh, okay, you know, this person's saying this negative thing, this really hurts. Okay, I start, started to unhook myself from that, detach from that. But then I still crave people's positive you know, opinions. And I realized when people say, cool, you're amazing, you're great. If you buy into that as well, you're still going to be trapped. So when you free yourself from both of those, to me, that's, that's the freedom. And you focus on doing the work. You focus on as authentically as possible being of service and doing the work for the sake of the love of the work. I love what I do. I was doing what I, I was, people don't know this, but you know, I grew up in, in, in South London. We didn't have a lot of money. Uh, when at 14 to 18, we lived behind my father's church. I would sneak into my father's church at the middle of the night, like 11 PM. And for three, four hours, sometimes 10 PM, you know, for two, three hours, uh, on the weekends, four or five hours. I mean, I would sneak in with the lights off and I would speak to the empty chairs, just giving seminars for hours, practicing my craft, but also because I loved inspiring, you know? And and I did this for five, six, seven, from like 11 to 18. And so I said, when you're really doing what you do from the pureness of your heart and for the love of what you do, because it's your purpose, there's a freedom in that, you know, and, and I find a profound freedom in that. And so that, that's kind of how I deal with it. And not everyone's going to understand you. Not everyone's going to understand your vision. You know, people say, well, no, people don't understand my vision. They're not meant to understand your vision. You're the one that has the vision. That's why you're the visionary. The vision's been given to you for a reason, not them. You know, if they were meant to understand the vision and agree with the vision, then they would have the vision and they would be the visionary. And, and, and you have the vision. So I think, I say, look, stop seeking for the validation outside. And, and, and I think it forces you to really know who you are. Yeah, I want to talk about that place that you are working from. Yeah. So I'm very much on this journey. You know, I don't pretend to know i'm on a journey of trying to figure out that's why it's nice. called how to human nice i'm very much still figuring it out 
recently it was it became apparent that I was working for other people's opinions. Yeah. I was working through abuse was the mechanism. Get up, Sam. Get up. Somebody's working harder than you. You have to do this. Somewhere talking to I've met some of my heroes on this program so far. I've been very lucky. Somewhere along the journey, it stopped working. Talking to myself that way. Yeah. That wasn't getting me out of my out of bed. And I've been relearning how to work. Mm. It's really slow. It's like my energy sources were abuse and shame and fear. Yeah. Which I think are limited. Yeah. Limited and also widely spread. Yeah. Like when I talk about this, other people go, holy shit, me too. Yeah. And now what? And it's very hard because when you start trying to work from I don't even know what that other place is called because I'm still discovering it. It you can no longer just sit down for 10 hours and grind. You know, it's a different energy source that I feel like I have to learn how to tap into. It's really slow. And so I guess my to frame it in a question, where do you find that enthusiasm to work hard, which yeah. isn't always fun? You know, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I do believe that that what you're talking about is a sort of old paradigm, motivational beat up technique uh, can only take you so far. Uh, and, and usually when you achieve success that way, it's not fulfilling anyway. You know, the journey isn't fulfilling. Um, where? Do, yeah, I'm just trying to because look, I mean, I work 10 hours, 12 hours a day, 14 hours a day. When I'm doing my events, 18 hours a day. Uh, and it's not a grind. Um, I'll share what happened what, for me, you know, uh, which is not like a technique or some seven-step formula. It's just, for me, my path, increasingly, I got to a place where I had to surrender myself. And recognize that my life is not my life. That my life is here in service to something bigger than myself. My soul, the divine, the infinite, the universe, labels, whatever. But when I made that shift, um, something happened for me. It was not like prior to that, it was... I'm doing this, especially when I first came to the US, I was like, fuck my dad. I'm going to prove to my dad <laughs> that I can make it. I don't need him. I'm better. Than, you know, it was, it was driven by ego and, and, and insecurity and, and unworthiness. You know, the drive for success was if I succeed, then I'm going to prove I'm worthy. It was exhausting. But as I started healing and becoming aware of that limitation, um, a level of surrender opened up. And so for me, Surrendering myself to life, surrendering myself to the mission I'm on. Uh, it's like you tap into another source. To me, that's when my prayer now is universe use me. You know? It's 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 the it's it's the invitation to be used by life 
by the infinite, by the universe, by consciousness, by God, whatever, you know, but you like, use me. And so it's shifted from what do I want? You know, what do I want to make happen to what is it that is seeking to express through me? What is it that is seeking to unfold me and universe use me and to show up with pure intent to be of highest service? I'm not saying I always know what highest service is, but to be of higher service to life. I think in that level of surrender, we tap into grace. And grit can get you to the point, but grace can take you beyond that. And when I look at anyone great, not just good, but I mean truly great, Gandhi, Martin Luther King, Mandela, you know, these people, like Mother Teresa, greatness. Um, they didn't work two hours a day, man. You know, they were working 24-7 round the clock, but they weren't fueled by simply their own need or their own energy. They were totally surrendered to being lived by life. That's that next level of motivation that is not simply personal. What can I get for myself? Oh, if I achieve this thing, I can have another vacation. It's it's opening yourself to be completely lived. And I think that's when grace unfolds and that's when life unfolds. And that's when you plug in, at least I've experienced, that's when you plug into another uh, energy source beyond your physical self. Uh, it's like th at that level, two times two doesn't equal four anymore. It kind of equals whatever is needed, you know. And and so, in that in, in that service in in that perspective of being of service, you you aren't simply focused on yourself anymore. And I think there's a profound thing that happens when you're not just focused on yourself. You actually transcend and go beyond yourself. And uh, I think that's when magic happens. You know, at least for me. That's when magic happens. Is it easy? No, it's not always easy. Do I get physically tired sometimes? Sure, I get physically tired sometimes, you know? It's just, but that's just a human experience. But the motivation is different. You know, that's what I find for myself. There's a different motivation you tap into that's not just getting anymore. You know, it's it's uh, it's hard to explain. I don't know if that makes any sense. No, I, I feel the same way, where I feel like I am just starting to experience this other energy source. It's better. It's hands down better. Yeah. And but it's a difficult switch. Yeah. It's a very difficult switch because if you're used to what I'm used to, which is like, wake up, get up, do this, like the grit that you're talking about, that's so idolized here. Yeah. Right? Like all of our heroes are like, you know, like Elon Musk, bless his heart, sleeping underneath his desk at PayPal, you know, or sleeping on the factory floor. And it's like that these are the idols that You know, but I'll be honest, it just because you surrender and just because you, you could say, move into a different approach, it doesn't mean you may not do that. You know, Gandhi, 24-7, nonstop, in prison, in and out of jail, you know, on the train. I mean, he was, if we were just to observe him, he was working harder than Elon, you know? It was nonstop. It, but, but to me, he was being used. Yeah, and, and there's a difference. the The motivation and your why 
I think is different. It's not so much about let me prove myself anymore. It's not so much about what can I, it, it, it's really about, okay, universe, use me for the highest expression. Use me for the highest upliftment of humanity. Use me for the, for whatever is necessary. It's, there's a different motivation. And, and so you might find yourself working harder. When you really surrender your life and yourself, you may find yourself working harder than before. You know, look at people like Martin Luther King. Martin Luther King, he just wanted, <laughs> they asked him to be the leader of the, of, of, of the civil rights movement. And he refused for a while because he wanted to live a nice life with his kids in a, in a Baptist church in Alabama somewhere because he knew what it was going to take to say yes. He knew what it would take. It might take his life, which it ended up taking. But when he finally surrendered, it was nonstop for him. And so I think it can look different. It can look differently for each of us. Because I think each of us, we all have our own path. And I, and I always say, look, don't compare your, your life to Elon's life, to my life, to uh, Gandhi's life. I think we have to tap into and ask ourselves, what is our path? What is my path? What is my authentic expression in this lifetime because i think we're all unique expressions of consciousness we're all unique human beings with different life experiences we incarnate i think because we have our souls are here to learn different lessons and so my my lessons and what i'm seeking to learn in this lifetime is going to be different from bill gates and the challenge is we get caught up in this thing of wow that person made a billion dollars and that person is doing this and that person's that but but you are not you're not that person i'm not that person and i think we have to really ask ourselves what are the lessons why have i incarnated why am i alive what's my purpose and what are the lessons i'm here to learn in this lifetime and i the way i see it, life is a school you know life is the greatest university so there's the there's the goal line you know like and and so much of our culture is focused on the attainment of goals and we worship the heroes that attain the goals but i believe there's the soul line the soul yeah. line is really who you become in the process in the lessons that you learn and really learning like am i really becoming who i was meant to be not who jeff bezos was meant to be am i becoming who i was meant to be so I think the real growth is surrendering to your path and really evolving and becoming that. Yeah, and service isn't always visible. No. You know, service can be spending a lot of time with your kids yeah. rather than going and achieving the billions of dollars, but like really raising people into beautiful young men and women. And uh, yes, service though is one of the core tenets of your talks, I've noticed, and it's something that, I believe in too, you know, it's like, if you're feeling really fucked up inside, find a way to be of service to something or someone. Cause you know? I think when you're of service, you're not just fixated on yourself. Yeah. And many times I think we suffer because we're so obsessed with ourselves. Me, my emotion, not that we don't have to be conscious and aware and deal with our shit. We do. But sometimes the danger becomes we get so fixed and collapsed and self-contracted in on ourselves, me, my, my stuff, that we we lose perspective, you know. And and so I think service is one aspect that takes us beyond ourself and transcending ourself. And I think there's a lot of freedom in that. And that's why I think service is, you know. Service, I think, is a key to a fulfilling life, to truly, I mean, if you look at anyone, like I always say, and I work with many billionaires and celebrities, people who have achieved a lot of success. Many times, some of these people, they'll say, could I have 
a $50 million house, two jets. I've achieved, I've achieved everything I wanted to achieve, and I'm still miserable. It's almost worse to achieve everything you want to achieve and be miserable. It's almost better to not achieve it, to have the hope, the future hope that you might achieve it, but to actually achieve it <laughs> and then get it and realize this ain't it, you're screwed. You know, it's, it's like, it's even more depressing. Uh, and, and so what I found is you might get everything you thought was going to make you happy. And at some point, you reach a point of dissatisfaction, a life of getting, you will reach a point, you might think, wow, I love sex. Let me have sex as much as I can. 24-7 with the most beautiful person on the planet, beautiful guy, girl. And at some point, maybe after a week or two of nonstop sex, you're going to be saying, you know what? I can't just, I can't anymore. You get the car that you really wanted, you know. <laughs> Years ago, I wanted a Lamborghini. I went and got this Lamborghini. I mean, I achieved success. I, went, I wanted to prove my theory. And I went and got this car. I mean, after a month or two, it's just, it's another car. So at some point, a life of sort of getting will lead to a point of dissatisfaction. To me, dissatisfaction is not bad. Usually when we hit a point of dissatisfaction, what most people do is they numb it away. They distract it away. They avoid it. They eat it. They try and buy more, achieve more. Dissatisfaction is a sign of growth that you have outgrown that thing. You've outgrown that level. It's growth. It's a growth moment to to evolve, to not just keep doing the same. And so uh, I think at that point, you realize you have to, like, what am I, what is the more? What am I really living for? You know, and I think that's the evolution in our process of living for myself and then realizing, wait a second, we're all interconnected. We're all one. Look at Bill Gates. We're all, I mean, he went from making, living under the desk of Microsoft, making money for himself, making a billion dollars, living his life to now. I mean, whether you like him or not, now his life has, he resigned from Microsoft and now his life is about philanthropy, you know, beyond yeah. himself, taking, realizing we're all interconnected. You know, we're not as separate as we think. And so I think uh, service is, uh, service is love, you know. A line you said, I heard it today, I forget where I heard it. One of your programs, maybe it was on Larry King, maybe it was on YouTube, um, was, and I'm gonna paraphrase really badly, <laughs> but the line was, everything's already been said, but I, I teach people what they have forgotten about themselves or something like that. And, sounds good. Sounds yeah, good. and I relate to that <clears throat> where it's like all of the most important nuggets of information that I have aren't new discoveries. It's not like some, um, uh, you know, somebody's like, I have this totally original idea. They're like very ancient. It's like ancient knowledge that it's just so easy to forget, like move, sweat, put good food into your body, right? Sometimes I will be just Brave. feeling awful and I'll realize I haven't been taking care of myself. Yeah. It's, the, it's the most important things are the easiest to forget. And so literally this happened last week where I go, man, I really don't feel good. <laughs> and I said, oh, wow, you haven't worked out in three days. You haven't, you haven't eaten good food in three days. You've been kind of just dun -dun -dun -dun, going, going, going. And you've let these things slip, which ha have such a big improvement on just my own well-being. When you're working with someone, because one of the things I love about your work is you do a lot of individual work. 
Yeah, I used to do a lot. Yeah, which obviously requires a lot of resources to hire you full time to basically come into their life. But when you're working with somebody, what are the core things you want them to look and explore? Because your work is about really looking inward as well, right? Getting to know yourself as a good starting place. When it comes to, let's just use the word like realization, like living a realized life where, you know, a majority of the time you feel like, this life is really worth it, let's say. What are the what are areas that you really try and have people examine? Like, what are the tenants? So service is obviously one of them. Yeah, I, I think uh, one of the things that keeps us stuck, one of the things that keep, and I talk a lot about this, and for me, j- just to clarify, my work isn't really simply about information. I don't really coach people. I don't really teach people, even though I've written book a book and I speak a lot. Uh, my real work is experiential, and my real work is I, I uncoach, I unteach, I uncondition people from patterns uh, that we just developed over time. I can talk more about that. And so one of the things that you could say I, te- I help people unravel uh, that I see keeps people stuck. Uh, one of the things that keeps us stuck from really breaking through are all the ways we lie to ourselves. We are constantly lying to ourselves. People will come to me and say, oh, I'm unhappy, I'm, 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 I'm not really happy. It's very simple. Tell the truth. Tell the truth to yourself about what you feel. Tell the truth. And we are constantly rationalizing, lying, settling, pretending, numbing. You know, we often play this game of confusion. I'm not sure. I don't know what my purpose is. I don't know if I'm in lie. I don't know what I should do. We there's a part of us that knows everything deep down because at the deepest level, we are we are everything. We are connected to everything. So we know. And so I would ask those listening in to sit with what lies am I telling myself? This is a huge starting place. I think many of the things that we pray about, we go to temple, we pray to God, we meditate, we do yoga, we go to, I mean, many of the things we pray about would just dissolve if we freaking told the truth to ourselves. (laughs) You know, I imagine someone going to church saying, God, please help me. God's saying, get out of church, go tell the truth to yourself. This is not even a problem. And so many times people, we want the freedom, but we're not willing to stop the lie. You know, maybe you're in a relationship that you know isn't isn't right, but you're in it because you have the kids and you're in it because what will people think? And you're just settling and it's killing your heart and it's killing your spirit. Maybe you're working a job that you f- you hate, but you're in it just because of the money or just be- what whatever prestige because you've been it you've done it for so long or it's all you know how to do. Um, and so there's so many lies that we tell ourselves, and I think lies kill us, lies numb us, lies disconnect us from our truth, our joy, our aliveness. If you want to experience true aliveness, you can't be happy lying to yourself. You can't be live an authentic, fulfilling life lying to yourself. People come to me and say, could help me be happy. What lies are you telling me? You know, deal with these lies. No, I'm not willing to deal with that, but help me be happy. It doesn't work that way, you know? It's like saying, I want to eat McDonald's donuts, milkshakes, you know, for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and be fit and healthy. Doesn't work that way. And so I say happiness is actually quite simple, not always easy. Feel the truth, acknowledge the truth, tell the truth, live the truth. Happy life, simple. But you know, we're afraid. I like I was afraid when my father said, 
you're going to take over my churches. I was, I mean, I, I was afraid to tell the church. I was afraid I would lose his love. I was afraid I'd be outcast. I, I was afraid I'd be alone. I was afraid I'd lose community. I, I was terrified. And, and I think we're afraid of the consequences. The challenge is many of the consequences that we make up in our mind aren't nearly as bad as, we, as what actually happens. Uh, and so we end up hijacking our life. And so what lies are you telling yourself? What are you pretending to not know? Because sometimes we conveniently pretend to not know when deep down we do. I give an analogy many times, you know, if we've been in a relationship in the past and maybe you were in a relationship in the past and you were confused, like you, you were with this person and you were kind of confused and is this person the one? Are they not the one? Should I stay with them? Should I not? And you would, you know, you would have all these conversations with your best friend. What should I do? Should I, the moment we, you broke up with that person, you said to your best friend, I knew it. <laughs> I, I knew that wasn't going to work. Like deep down, we know. And I think there's a responsibility that we have to own that knowing. And I think sometimes we're afraid because there's a sense of if I really own my truth, I may have to do something about it. I may have to make the change. So it's easier to not own the truth, to keep ourselves comfortable, you know, to keep our so-called life together that we're not happy with, but to just keep it together because it's what we know. It's, it's the known. And so what lies are you telling yourself? What are you pretending to not know? What is it costing you? And I, I always tell people, be willing to feel the pain. We often numb ourselves from the pain. We shop it away, sex it away, eat it away, social media, it away, whatever it is, because we feel the truth, but uh-oh, uh, I don't want to feel this truth. So let me just forget I feel this and pretend, no, everything's fine. When deep down we know it's not. And so I think a place to start is I'm big on the truth, like mm -hmm. really feeling your deepest truth, feeling what's true and having the courage to, okay, if you're not willing to take action on it, at least own it. Don't bullshit yourself. At least own it. Like I'm not happy in my job. I hate my job. It's not in integrity and I'm not willing to leave and burn in that for a few weeks. <laughs> you know, the fire, the fire of that will burn. And it's only a matter, it might take a year or two to do something, but at, at least you're not BSing yourself saying, I like it. No, no, no. I hate it. I don't like it. This is the truth. And I'm too afraid and feel that without, without judgment, you know, without, without any judgment, just be with what is and feel it. And it will, it will begin a process inside. Instantly. I know of a conversation I've been avoiding. I, oh my God, I felt it directly in my gut yeah. where I go, man. And it has dire consequences of this conversation. Like I, I can't even say it on the air, and that's rare for me to not want yeah. to say something on the air. But the truth, the truth is, yeah. what we'll, the truth. I, I I say this: you must want, and I tell my clients this, and I don't just tell them; I take them through, you know, processes and an experience. But I tell people: you must want the truth more than you want what you think you want. You must want the truth more than you want what you currently have. So the question I ask people in my events, you know, when they come work with me is, what is it that you want more than anything else? We say we want to be free. We say I want freedom. And I, I challenge people, no, you don't. Why do? No, you don't. What do you want more than anything else? Because if you really want freedom, true freedom, more than anything else, you'll have it. But many times we don't. We, there's a kind of an unconscious payoff we have for staying in that relationship. There's a sort of payoff we have for staying stuck. And so until we're willing to tell ourselves the truth, even about why we're not willing to transform. Yeah. 
like that sounds crazy like no i'm doing i'm going to this seminar i'm listening to this podcast i want to transform usually no you don't there's a part of you part of us that doesn't want to transform and i think part of the transformation is owning here are all the reasons why i don't want to shift because i'm afraid if i shift it's going to mean that consequence it's going to mean this it's going to mean this because those things that are unowned run us and they hijack us and stop us from being free yeah i was talking to my best friend the other day and i just in passing just said ah doesn't everyone want to be rich and famous and he said no they don't and i said really what do you mean great because instagram everyone's he says people want to be rich and famous because of what they think that means which is freedom you know really what they want is freedom and you know if they could you know they want money and they want fame because they think that's what they think that's what freedom is freedom to make your own decisions but and i thought that was so interesting a lot of people don't even know why they're on instagram you know (laughs) i I was doing i was doing an event with 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 some influencers you know like like instagram influencers people have a lot of influence and posting pictures of them and i'm like number one why are you an influencer and number two what are you influencing people to do like what is it you're influencing and and so many times we don't know and we're just floating you know and so i think it's important we really connect with who am i really look you might get i tell people you might get everything you thought you wanted sometimes you achieve it through all sorts of means you know strategies means techniques manifestation what have you but you might get everything you thought you wanted only to realize this is not really what i wanted it was just what i thought i wanted based on who i thought i was it's not really what I wanted, but that, then that only leads to being unfulfilled. So I think we have to really, at first, know who we really are. And many times we don't know who we really are. Many times we think if I achieve that thing, I'm going to finally be validated. If I can make it on Instagram and get fame and fortune, become this actress or what have you, then you'll see me. My, my dad is going to, or my mom, or people will finally see me and I'll be validated. And that's really what we're, we don't really want that. We want something else. And so I think it's so important to really question ourselves, question our motivations, get, get real with who am I really? You know, the reality is we've been conditioned. The moment we're born as children, if you look at a child, a child is free you know a child is in touch with the essence a child if a child if baby were here right now he or she would just jump on this table sing dance scream you know cry whatever it is there's no judgment there's no shame there's no guilt there's just it wouldn't wonder oh am i fat what do you think of me it would just run up to me or you wouldn't go oh this guy has a scruffy you know beard and weird glasses it would just hug you you know (laughs) but what happened to us we were so free one time free and expressive and just in the moment, what happened? We were born, we met our parents, our parents are just doing the best that they can do based on their life, based on their conditioning, based on their childhood. Then we have a kind of scenario we're born into, maybe pain, trauma, divorce, maybe our dad was crazy or our mother was you know, emotionally neglectful. Whatever our story was from extreme to just basic, you know, we all have stuff, even Buddha had stuff, you know, even I had, we all have stuff. And so we have this experience. So two things happen. We're born free. And then we're born into this experience, this human craziness, life, right? Which is, as you said earlier, it's not 
it's not all roses. It's, it's, it's tough being a human being. It takes courage being, it's hard being a human being sometimes, you know? And so we're born into this experience and we start learning all sorts of unconscious ways in order to, to disconnect, shut down and just function and survive. You know, maybe dad is crazy or an alcoholic. So we start shutting down parts of ourselves in order to just deal with it all. And we start numbing our heart, numbing parts of ourselves, suppressing our emotions just to function and survive. Then we go out into the world and we start learning all sorts of ways to, you know, maybe dad said, be quiet. Or when we were loud, shut up or we got hit or whatever, you know, whatever it was. So we start unconsciously learning all sorts of ways to the sense of who do I need to be in order to get love, validation, and fit in? Who do I need to be? Oh, if I can be nice, if I can be funny, if I can be quiet, if I can be sexy, if I can be what the response. I had to be the perfect kid, the responsible one, you know, the 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 the, the caretaker. I mean, that was me, and I got so much validation from being that. So we we contort ourselves, we shut down, and we develop these roles and masks and personas that we think is who we are. But it's not who we really are. We think, oh, this is just who I am. So I ask people, we have to start questioning ourselves. Is who I am and is who I've become who I really am? Or is it simply who I've been conditioned to be? The degree to which we've been locked into this identity thinking this is who I am is the degree to which we're not free. We're being run. We think we have free will, but we don't. We're being run by the conditioning and programming of our past without even being consciously aware of it. And then we, 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 we are setting goals based on this false sense of who we are <laughs> and then we wonder well why the hell am i not happy i want to be an influence on instagram i want and we don't you know and so i think we really have to start with okay who am i really like really beyond the role and beyond the mask and beyond this dance i've learned to do in order to get certain needs met that worked for me when I was five, not quite working for me when I'm 25 or 35, not truly fulfilling. Who am I really? Like, because it's only by get, peeling away layers and getting in questioning and feeling and letting go and shedding and have the courage to shed and release and let, and you can say die to who we've, we've crafted ourselves to be that we can then connect to our truth, connect to our true essence. And it's, I believe it's only from that place that we can then begin to navigate our lives authentically and say, you know what? I thought I was this person. I thought I was this person. I thought I was that person. And based on that, I thought I wanted that. And I built an entire life that was a lie based on who I thought I was. But I realized, oh, this is who I am. And then I think we can say, what do I really want? And start navigating our lives and making choices based on our authentic truth you know and i think it takes a lot of courage yeah i've had a, a list since my birthday was august 29th i had a list that says what do i want i've been asking myself that and things go on and then they get crossed off and things go on crossed off and i'm just letting it kind of be in but it's a big fucking question <laughs> when you're being honest with yourself because it's like once you start examining stuff it, you can if you're looking you can realize Oh wait, that's not quite it. Yeah. You know, that's not quite it. Like, yes, I think it's it's fair for me to want, you know, financial uh freedom, you know, just to be able to be comfortable. Because right now times are are tight, you're good, but you know, when you're starting anything, yeah. 
like I'm glad people like this program, but it's been tough to pull off, you know? Um, It's a huge question. And I just have a question about fear of making some changes because like I have some good direction of where I want to go. I've been thinking about this a lot, but like I said, just during this conversation, something came up. Oh man, I've been avoiding this conversation big time. And that can possibly explain some of the drag I'm feeling on the inside. How should, how would you recommend I approach it or even think about if I'm ready to approach that? The conversation? The, just, yeah, that, that move. It's, it, in my case, it's a conversation, but in other people's cases. And you, and, and you can't say what it is, right? Not quite yet. Not quite okay. yet, yeah. How, how should you, so it's a conversation you want to have with someone? Yeah, I just want to be really honest and it's kind of disappointing. It's like, I won't be the bearer of good news, you know? I believe the truth serves everyone. Not that it's easy, but the truth serves everyone, even though it doesn't always seem that way at first. And uh, I think the only way to approach it, my friend, is to find the right, not that there's ever a right moment for, for quotation marks, bad news, right? There's no perfect moment. Hey, I got some challenge, a bad news. It's not like a perfect moment. There's just the best moment you can find. Um, but what I found is when I hold back truth out of my fear or out of not wanting to hurt someone, yeah. I'm not really serving them. So you're not really serving someone by holding the truth back either. Because many times when you speak the truth, now look, it's your responsibility to speak the truth and your responsibility to speak it with compassion, obviously, with love with compassion, you know, but you have to speak it because many times that truth will be a gift to the person you speak the truth to in terms of their soul's growth, even though it might be challenging. And so what I found is holding the truth back doesn't necessarily serve people in the bigger picture. Yeah. You know, and so all you can do is speak it with compassion. So when I say speak the truth, I'm not saying like, hey, just drop the bomb on someone. Say, hey, you deal with it. No, like share your intention for why. Like Many times we have to speak the truth, not because we don't give a shit, but because we really love the person. Or we, or we, we really care about the relationship. And, and, and I think if you can set up the context for what your intention is for speaking the truth, and if you can set up the context, then that person or those people may be more able to hear you without feeling attacked or the need to defend or and they can hear where you're coming from and i think when people can understand where you're coming from they can at least hear it and at least listen you know um but look life life is challenging man it's to me it's about growth if we're not growing and evolving we're dying and i say life doesn't care about your comfort it cares about your growth and evolution and and I think when you when you lead speak from the truth, that's when you serve everyone involved. Yeah. Question I ask is what what decision would serve everyone involved? Me, you, the the other person. What would serve everyone's growth? To me, the game is about growth. 
It's about growth. It's not about comfortable. It's about growth. Uh, am I growing? Is this person growing? Are we all growing? We've forgotten why we're here. To me, the purpose of life is for us to grow and evolve. Not to play it safe. It's, it's, it's soul's growth and evolution. I think when we start playing that game, then we start seeing it differently. That doesn't mean there won't be some fear, but I think then we can start viewing life a little differently. You know, yeah, it takes I courage. I hope by the time I air this episode, I'll be able to tell people <laughs> that I had the conversation and then tell them what it was about. Yeah. It's just, it's sensitive. Yeah. So when it comes to change, it's hard, right? Like we use words like growing pains, but change is, I think, pretty rare in my opinion. Um, you know, on January, probably 60 million Americans are going to start going to the gym. You know, they want, quote unquote, they want to be active, but America is not going to have 60 million new athletes come June of 2019. And I think part of that is sticking with it, of course, and obviously trying to pick things that you will stick with. But I love the, so far what I've loved about talking to you is the images that you conjure up, especially when it's like you're trying to unlearn programming. So you're trying to unlearn programming of say, serving the taste buds, right? And trying to learn programming of like serving the body, right? Just to use like food as an analogy, but to make change possible, part of it is unlearning really bad things. You've probably grown, you know, like me and some of my current growth is monsters I've created inside, you know, that every time a certain challenge comes up, I back down. And so it just becomes bigger and bigger and bigger, like a, like a bill that's unpaid, just getting fees, you know, added to it. But when it comes to sticking with a, a goal, how do you start on a fresh enough chapter? How do you unlearn enough that you can at least give it a chance? Because I, I feel like, I guess it'll be a two-part question. One is so many people never even go to the gym. Yeah, okay. Right? So at least, hey, to the people that do go on January, props, man. At least you went. It's a beginning. It's a beginning. But how do you get to the point of unlearning those awful voices that you've been that awful conditioning to even get to the gym and then once you're there how do you try and sustain it how do you see it? the gym metaphor is an interesting one because I, you know, I i exercise every day yeah um it's a great place to start it's a, it's a, <laughs> yeah. it's a foundation you know? yeah uh i i often joke uh you know i train coaches and i have apprentices who uh i've been training and i tell them if you want to influence other people you can't influence yourself. How's that going to work? <laughs> you know, in order to be able to influence and lead others, you have to start be leading yourself. And uh, and to me, that's where it starts, you know, is, is that self-mastery. Um, one thing I'll say is uh, the mind is always selling us stuff. The mind is always selling us a bunch of, Sometimes BS, you know, we have 65,000 thoughts, 75,000 thoughts in that zone a day. Most of those thoughts are the same as yesterday, constantly saying, you know, you're not this, you're not that, you know, just programmed tapes, loops, conditioning, much of which is not even ours. 
Some of that has been passed down to us. If we really start becoming, most of the time we're not aware, it's just playing in the background. So I think the first thing is we have to start becoming aware of the constant script and the constant programming, the constant tapes that are running in the background of our consciousness that we're not even aware of, but is the music, the soundtrack of our life that is controlling our actions. You're not enough. You're not worthy. You never make it. We're not even listening to it. It's just like the background elevator music. And I think we have to stop becoming aware of that and we have to start questioning those voices. I often tell people just because a thought is in your head doesn't mean it's true. Thoughts are just thoughts. It's not the thoughts that are important. Many times we make it, oh, it's the, you have to, it's the thoughts that are, no. To me, you can't stop your thoughts. They just happen. They're just spontaneously arising. You can start becoming aware of those thoughts, but what's important is not the thoughts, but the importance that you give them, the power that you give the thoughts. Thoughts are just thoughts that are arising. And I think if we can begin to develop a relationship with our mind, a relationship with those thoughts, and begin to observe those thoughts, begin to actually, many times we don't observe those thoughts, we're so in them that they run us, they hijack us. But if we can start to actually take a step back and recognize I'm not my mind, I'm not those thoughts. Just because my thought, my mind is telling me that doesn't mean, doesn't mean it's true. It's just, it's just a thought. And take a step back and observe. If you can observe something, then you're not it. But many times we're so busy being caught up in it that we think we're, the th we think we're unworthiness when it's just a thought that's been, uh, a right, that's been arising, right? It's been arising for a while. And so the first step is to become aware, then really start observing. And then I would say, start questioning those thoughts. We often think, so, so for me, the question is, is this fact or is this fiction? Many times we're operating like it's facts, like question, like, is this fact? I'm not enough. I'm not worthy. Can't do it. Sleep some more. Don't go to the gym. Whatever it is. Is this fact or is it fiction? And many times what I found is we are taking certain thoughts that are fiction as fact and we're living our life like it's fact because they go unchecked and unquestioned we have to rigorously start questioning our thinking you know and start observing at the same time so that's one thing i would say the other thing i would say uh, so you are not the mind you are not your thoughts right uh, the other thing i would say as a simple thing is if, <laughs> if you're having trouble going to the gym there's a gym as a metaphor, right? Could right. be anything. There's a myth. <clears throat> I was a fat kid. How I began was I ran one day once around the block. One time, no big deal. I mean, that's not going to make a big difference. Once around the block. Next day, once around the block. Next day, once, maybe a month, once around the block. Ne next month, twice around the block. Ne and it just went through. Before you knew it, I was running six miles a day. I was no great athlete. I had no special talent, no special ability, right? So I think huh, what I had to do was I had to make my exercise, number one, non-negotiable. I had to make it a choice to not be a choice. It was a, it's a choice now in my life. Exercising is a choice that's not a choice. So I don't have to get up and think about, am I going to do it or am I not? It's already decided. It's not even a choice. And here's the myth. The myth is that you have to feel like it in order to do something. That is a complete myth. I found that the truly successful people 
are willing to do the things that they don't want to do sometimes and the things that they don't feel like doing in order to get to where they know they need to get to. And the unsuccessful are not willing to do some of the things that they don't want to do or don't feel like doing, but stay stuck where they don't want to. And so if you operate your life based on how simply how you feel, you will live a limited life. Boy, you're gonna get hijacked. You will live a limited life because many times if you're up to anything great, anything remotely, anything, you will not feel like it much of the time. For 10 years, I did not feel like exercising. For ten, like 10 years, I went every day in the snow in London, okay? I hate the snow. Freaking 14-year-old kid running in the snow. I didn't feel like it. Never felt like it. I didn't feel like going out in freezing temperature, but I did it because it wasn't a choice. So there'll be much of the time you won't feel like it. You don't, what I'm saying is you don't have to feel like it. You don't have to be in the mood. There's a myth of, I'm not in the mood. You don't have to be in the mood. You won't feel in the mood. But if you let your mood dictate it, you'll never do it. And, and, and each time you don't do it, you'll make a withdrawal from your own sort of internal trust account with yourself. Yes. You know? And so don't let your fleet, because moods are fleeting. Moods are, I wrote my book, became a national bestseller. You are the one. People say, wow, the book was amazing. It flowed so easily. It was just such an easy read. I read it on the toilet in three hours. Wow, I'm I'm, I'm glad, but it was hell to write. (laughs) You know, the writing, I mean, when I say hell, I mean, it was hell. There were, honestly, here's the truth. There was not one time I sat down and the angels and the muse <laughs> appeared, and I felt like writing. Every time I freaking resisted, and I didn't want to sit down, and I wanted to, you know, all of a sudden, I don't watch TV. All of a sudden, time to write, I want to watch television. All of a sudden, time to write, I'm feeling hungry. All of a sudden, you know, I want to just go outside. Oh, it's Saturday. It's just the mind. You know, this is the natural resistance that comes. Resistance is a natural process to, to, to progress. And so we should not resist the resistance. We should embrace the resistance as a part of the growth. Likely, if you're doing something and you don't feel resistance, you should start looking around and questioning what's wrong. You know, something like something, if you are growing and stretching, you're going to come across resistance because that's your, if that's, that's the stretch. If you, if you stretch your arm right now and you stretch beyond us, stretching just here, right? Just moving it a few inches, no resistance. But if I'm going to stretch and get more flexibility, more strength, there's going to feel resistance. So resistance has to be embraced and loved. Nothing's wrong. Most people feel resistance and they stop. To me, greatness is not something that's bestowed from the heavens and the gods. It's a moment to moment to moment to moment choice that we have to make over and over and over and over again. I woke up this morning, didn't feel like going to the gym. You know what? It doesn't matter what you feel like in the moment. We have to have a commitment that's bigger than the fleeting feeling in the moment. And to me, that's the difference, you know? That's the difference. Oh, the feeling after. Was that, and, and the feeling after is amazing. Yeah, like, I mean, how many times have you? I mean, I know I have. When I when I didn't want to exercise and I did, I'm like, I'm so glad I didn't listen to myself. I feel amazing. You're so, but yeah, no, you have to go again because it's so far away. Before a Jack Cornfield said a line I loved, which was, uh, 
I asked him because he's prolific. He's written like thirty something books. Guns a hero. Yeah, and he and he said, "Well, I don't uh, necessarily always or ever like writing, but I love having written." Which is like, yeah, when I finish a drawing or when I finish a piece, I write short form, but when I finish a piece, man, nothing can, it's there. You brought it into the world. And even though you didn't want to, you know. You, you, you know, you triggered a thought. You know, it could be a writing conversation, but it could be anything. You have to, you have to, number one, just start. You have to just start. Start where you are as you are. One myth you have to give up is you have to like, be completely healed start as you are where you are because even in your screwed up state you can help someone there's someone you can help even as you are i mean picasso was i'm told a little screwed up but he created amazing art what if he went to therapy for 50 years and waited waited until he was healed we wouldn't have the art so even as you are your creativity consciousness can come through you and express itself in a unique way right uh, you also have to give up the need to be perfect. Just give it up, you know? When I write, I had to give myself permission. The permission I gave myself to be able to write was I'm going to allow myself to write crap. I'm going to just give myself permission to write nonsense. Like, the shit doesn't have to be any good. I'm just going to dump my thoughts on the page and write Give myself permission to suck, basically. And you know what? Uh, in the moment, it felt terrible. In the moment, it didn't. It wasn't a masterpiece, but I at least got stuff out, and it began, and it and and it gave me something to work on, you know. And so I think we have to be willing to start where we are, as we are, and begin the process. For those that, in terms of going to the gym, <laughs> here's a slight hack, a little technique. If you're having a struggle going to the gym, I would say don't commit to going to the gym. Just put your workout gear on. I do that. I'm wearing my running shoes right just, now. Just wear, wear your shorts <laughs> and running shoes and just stand on the street. Or just try, just drive to the Just stand on the street. I'm telling you, if you stand on the street with your sneakers on and your iPhone and music, probably you'll, you'll run once around the block. Yeah. You know? So we have to just, we have to just begin. And sometimes it's the small things. We sometimes think it has to be these huge things we need to do. This have to write the whole book in a weekend. We have to do this seven-mile run. Sometimes it's just the small things that we do, you know, consistently over time that don't seem to make a difference yeah. in the moment. But over time, it's a huge difference. Yeah, it's accumulative. Yeah. It is accumulative. Like you, if you go out right now and set to go – be an athlete and work out like an athlete, you're going to be broken for a week. You will not go to the gym again for a week because your body will not be able to handle it. You have to go and start small. Yeah. Just like I started drawing again this year. I have to draw badly. Yeah. That's it. I have, I, if I try to reproduce the image in my head, there's no way because yeah. I have a great image in my head, but I have to be willing to draw badly. And it's so, you know, when it comes to running, I had to be on an elliptical for weeks because my knees, my ligaments, they couldn't handle running. And finally, they got stronger. And finally, I did, you know, I was doing like four miles on an elliptical, which is odd because it's not a very distance-oriented machine, you know. It's like smaller strides. But And then I would do a mile on the, on the treadmill. It felt like I was going backwards. Right, but right. the truth is that like all these little ligaments, all these tendons, they had to build up. Like there was no way I could do four or five miles on the treadmill. And it's that with everything. So – 
you've been really generous with your time. No, I'm having fun. And I'm, uh, I'm excited to meet you. It's been, I'm really glad we got put in touch. But so if I was to pull out a phone right now and I was to say, Coop, this phone's for you. And on the other end is Coop when he was at his most doubtful, most cynical, most resentful at the world, literally wherever you were at that fork in the road where you could have just gone, you know what? I made it to the United States. I could just go get a sales job. Which, which I tried for a week. <laughs> <laughs> and I could hand you this phone and you could talk to that guy. What's the message you would want to tell him? Life brought you this far. God brought you this far. For a reason. Not to leave you in this place or in this moment. Keep the faith. Don't lose the faith. You are not alone in this moment. There are guys, there are teachers, there are... There is so much support all around you, even in this moment, the whole universe, the sun, the star, the moon, supporting you. Keep the faith. That's what I would say, you know, That's keep beautiful. the faith. And I'm glad, you know, the reality is I'm, I'm glad I didn't give up, you know. I'm glad you didn't give up too. Yeah, I'm glad. I, th look, there were moments I felt like giving up. One time you talk about a sales job, I got a, I got a job for a weekend selling cars in a tent sale. You know, and I was so miserable, man. I made, I sold like three cars in a weekend in a, in the, in the 110 degrees heat in, in the, in, <laughs> in, in like the desert somewhere in a tent sale. You know, they bring all their junk cars from the dealers and I was miserable because I was not, I was not in alignment. And, uh, and look, I would just say to anyone listening in, if you knew the date and time of your death, the exact like God said, here's the exact date, this date, this date, this date, this year. And you knew that time. Would that change what you're doing? Would that change how you're living? Would that change what you're doing with your time right now? Because the reality is you, me, Bob Marley, Dave Bow, uh, Dave, David Bowie, Muhammad Ali, Bill Gates, Elon Musk, Oprah, we all have one thing in common. That's time. That's it. One day, you know. One day, I think we have like 86,400 seconds. Time, it's gone. Once it's gone, it's gone. And so I would ask everyone, what are you doing with the time that you've been given? Because when we do die, because it is the only guarantee, you and I will die for sure. I know there's technology that's saying people are going to live forever and a thousand years, I mean, possibly, but Jesus died, Buddha died, Bruce Lee <laughs> died, you and I, we're going to freaking die. It's guaranteed, at least this body, our souls will live forever, but the body is going. I think when we can make peace with that, hopefully it creates an urgency inside to say, look, we don't have time to waste because when that moment does come and we meet our maker, we can't go to God and say, God, I kind of wasted two years in that relationship. Can I get a refund? You know, I wasted three years in that job that killed my soul. Can I get that time back? It's Once it's gone, it's gone. So I would just ask everyone, like seriously, we've been given a crazy, look, being human, I was going to use some words, I'm not going to use it, but being human is it's tough, man. Being human is not always easy. There's heartbreak and there's pain and there's sadness and there's death and there's betrayal and there's, but there's such beauty, joy and orgasm and children and babies and love and, I mean, all of it, and, and I think life is beautiful, not just because it's perfect, it's beautiful because it contains the whole. We get 
this opportunity to live on this crazy, amazing planet with sights and colors and textures and taste. And we have the opportunity to taste everything. It's not like God said, you're only going to taste vanilla ice cream. You're going to taste every flavor possible. Taste it all, the light and the dark. And you know what? I think it's all beautiful. We don't get to control always what happens, but I think we do get to control the degree to which in each moment we love. And I think at the end of our lives, when we die, that's the only thing that's really going to ma matter. You know, did I, did I love? Did I love fully? Did I love those around me fully? And so I just invite everyone to say, look, are you loving? The people of 9-11 probably had no idea they weren't going to come home that night and look their loved ones in the eyes and say, hey, I really love you. I really, or I'm sorry, you know? And so uh, how would you need to live with no regrets? We have a precious gift. This life is a gift. It's challenging. It's difficult. It's a gift. And if you're a human being, I just want to say much respect. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> it takes a lot of courage, man, to live with an open heart. Absolutely. Thanks for your time. Yeah, it's great to be here. So that's the end of this conversation. But for me, the conversation doesn't end there because I get to hear from you guys about what is going on in your lives and how this podcast may have influenced your current decision-making process or current path. And it's one of the great rewards of doing this program. So if you'd like, you can leave us a review on iTunes for the How to Human podcast, or you can shoot me a message at hellohumans.co or Sam Lamott on Instagram. Both of those I manage and would love to hear from you. Uh, this is the How to Human podcast, a production of hellohumans.co. And I will see you next time.